0: Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 77. Here we see Nathaniel and Trina hold hands, prance out into the water, and watch Nathaniel ride out in all his glory. Get ready to set sail on Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 77.
1: Seventy-seven. The last bit of movie in this movie, the grand conclusion,
0: 29 joyous seconds of filmed footage and then transition into the credits. So don't worry, fans. We will uh, tackle the credits in a moment. Mm. But our last uh, little bit of footage here. So we see Nathaniel and Trina holding hands prancing over underneath the arbor pergola arch
1: arch arbor arch arch
2: arch.
0: (laughs) i mean i did some research on arbors and pergolas and such and i don't think i'm gonna uh, be able to convince anyone of anything because i don't understand what they are talking about none of it seemed to make any sense One of the bits of research that I read was that an arbor needs a seat in it. Arbor needs a seat. Pergola comes from pergola, Italian for projection. An arbor is freestanding, not connected to a building. But Wiki says that arbors have seats and are for plants. Do they have to have seats? Again, not really sure here. Oh, I do have more. The Great Arbor versus Pergola debate. Oh. Pergola sometimes confused with arbors as the terms are used interchangeably. Generally, an arbor is regarded as wooden bench seats with a roof, usually enclosed by lattice panels forming a framework for f- climbing plants. A pergola is a much larger and more open structure. Normally, a pergola does
1: not include integral seating. Mm. I think you could maybe call this simply an archway. It's an arch with flowers on it. I think a cabin boy minute explanation
0: is much like a sconce, The word has been appropriated for like little sconce-ish shelves, whether they have lights on them or not. Mm. The word arbor has kind of been bastardized as well, and it can mean any sort of archy, planty thing. Yeah, the definition I see here, a shady garden alcove with sides and a roof formed by trees or climbing plants trained over a wooden framework. Nothing about seats. Who trains them? Uh, arbor trainer. I don't know if they have a technical name. An Arbor. Ah, that's where they go to get trained. And there's your Michigan connection. Probably a call out to James Gammon. Yeah, I was going to say, so Paps to built this. It's truly all coming together. How much time do we have left in this podcast?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they're uh, now standing under the arbor. Uh, Nathaniel looking out at the ocean, Trina's looking at him, there's wind blowing, they're holding their hands. Mm-hmm. I will say here again, I haven't mentioned it in a while, Trina looks great. She does, her. Have, she does have her hair in a ponytail. Oh, does she? A uh, ponytail <laughs> is a hairstyle in which some, most, or all of the hair on the head is pulled away from the face, gathered and secured at the back of the head with a hair tie clip and other similar accessory, and allowed to hang freely from that point. It gets the name, get this, from its resemblance to the tail (laughs) of a pony.
1: Yeah, I don't see it. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me there was a Wikipedia page on this.
0: There absolutely was, and I must say, <laughs> all joking aside, this is, again, one of those great things about Cowboy Minute. Never would have found myself in the ponytail page, and it did bear fruit, so hold on. Oh, okay. Traced back to ancient Greece, 2000 to 1500 BC. So, get this. Scientists in the United Kingdom have formulated a mathematical model that predicts the shape of a ponytail given the length and random curvature or curliness of a sample of individuals' hairs. It is known as the ponytail shape equation. <laughs> this research won them a prize known as the Ig Nobel for Physics. You, you know this, huh, Rob? You, see, I, I never heard of that. And I am i didn't research it more at this moment, but I certainly would like to, of basically this. I mean, useless scientific <laughs> research. <laughs> yep,
1: yep. It's the stupidest thing we can come up with.
0: So what, what you guys know more about this ignoble? Uh, can you learn me a little?
1: You know, in the vein of like, you know, the Razzies and stuff like that, of just giving a yearly award to the most ridiculous useless stupid scientific research that is done every year
2: mm.
0: yeah i mean there's even more like there's other equations there's something known as the rapunzel number that you uh, can determine oh. uh, but overall p- ponytails maybe not the best for your hair it can cause traction alopecia
1: which is uh, associated with hair loss mm. Mm. so watch out okay The one place where I could see the uh, ponytail equation being useful is maybe strong, but I know a lot of work goes into modeling hair in video games, especially ones that are really detailed. Like um, when The Witcher 3 came out, they made a big deal about how realistic the hair simulation was in the game. And I think there was a whole department where their job was to model hair. Mm accurately in the game and perhaps the ponytail equation went into that perhaps we can make that a component of the cabin boy video game well that that is important so <laughs> i hope can put to use in that way so our last line of dialogue here mm-hmm. nathaniel and trina are facing each other and nathaniel says come on trina we've got a boat to catch she sighs and they turn and run through the archway, arbor, pergola, flowers down to the beach. I did appreciate one last little bit of uh, Nathaniel running kind of like an idiot.
2: Mm.
1: He does just sort of this like side-to-side wobble as they're trotting down. I don't know if you guys noticed, there's the rocks that are projecting out into the water. Mm-hmm. In front of those rocks, there's two objects that you can see floating. I did see that. I believe are two surfers that were hanging out during their goodbye. Well, maybe they're like the safety team in case uh, Chris tripped to
0: the water. (laughs) So there's a fade out and we get uh, cut to the ship. Once again, we see the miniature in the tank. Mm -hmm. We see the sun's coming through the clouds. Mm. Once again, Nathaniel. Riding Trina out to the boat, and uh, I—it's something I subconsciously realized, but didn't uh, explicitly realize till this. You heard the uh, bells chiming at the end. Huh? Two tolls of the bell. So again, I don't know if that's connected to the clock chiming in uh, Nathaniel Mayweather's office.
1: Uh, something to that. Clearly. I mean, the clock chiming in William Mayweather's office is giving us the moment at which Nathaniel has moved on from his fancy ladness, and the bells tolling along with their journey through the arch. It is the figurative marriage of Nathaniel and Trina. It's representative Mm -hmm. of them coming together. And then we see the credits start. Credits start with Callie.
0: As far as the credits go, uh, we've talked about most of these people already uh, at the beginning of the movie or as they came up. So the credits start with Callie, then Chalky, Figurehead, Mulligan, Kenny. So those are done individually. And then it says cast. Mm -hmm. And it starts listing the cast. The one person in the cast that I noticed that I don't ever remember us
1: talking about explicitly was Alex Neville. I, You know, it came up. I kind of looked at it. And my notes are Thomas, hat tipper, Lance, hat tipper. And I went back through my prior notes. I, I, I didn't have it recorded and I didn't take the time to go listen through the episodes. But I think Lance was the hat tipper, right? Yes. That's David Sterry.
0: Yeah. I took him as the guy that's like kinda looks over after he says the big penises part. That that's the guy that I was thinking it was. I'll take it because I didn't make the effort to figure it out. So anyhow, Alex Neville, who played Thomas, who he one of the fancy lads in the, the hat-tipping scene.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He was in Star Trek 2009. Uh, he was in a 1982 Cheers episode. He's the brother of singer-musician-songwriter-producer Robbie Neville, who had a popular song called C'est La Vie in 1986. He uh, also did music for Hannah Montana and things of the like. Wow. But uh, Alex Neville, also uh, 39 other acting credits, uh, including Law and Order, Clifford's really big movie, That 70s Show, Family Matters, etc.
1: Okay. A uh, varied filmography. I do have a little bit on credits in general. Oh, please. That's a good place to start. (laughs) So the credits start, and you know, at first I was just like, why the fuck are they listing? Like, you know, okay, so Anne Magnuson, Russ Tamlin, I guess they weren't listed in the beginning of the movie. I wonder what the order, like how they decided on the order of who was going to be in there. So I kind of poked around a little bit, and the movie making process is complicated and involves a ton of people. And you know, at the end of the movies, they want to credit who was involved in the production but apparently you know this has been a thing that's developed over time so at first in early kind of movie making all they would show they would show the title at the beginning of the movie and that was it and then eventually as movies got more popular people continued to go to the movies and they start recognizing the actors in the film you would see the actors names at the beginning of the credits then it really wasn't until the 70s that the end credits became kind of a common practice and then this resulted from the newly esta- established auteur theory, which was the belief that the director is the primary creative voice behind the movie, so that they needed a little more recognition about what they did. So then you started seeing end credits that included like the cast and the director and some of the you know producers, what have you. When film moved to a digital format, when it was easier and less costly to add more credits to the movies, that's why you started seeing these lists of credits get longer and longer. And so now nowadays, you know, you go see something like the Avengers, especially with all kind of like the digital like effects that go into movies, you get the credits that can be like, you know, 10, 12 minutes long. In terms of the order of who gets listed in the credits, it is an art, not a science. So there's no real standards uh, in terms of who gets listed where, although some credit placement is uh, defined by union contracts production contracts or kind of the contracts that they sign with the actors. So that'll kind of help define who goes where roughly you get above the line talent first, which is kind of like name, movie stars, producers, directors, writers, and kind of important stunt personnel. Those are the folks that'll get uh, you'll see at the beginning of the movie sometimes, or at the beginning of the credits, then you'll list out the whole cast. Then you get the production departments those are the people who were involved in the actual filming and then the post-production uh departments which are like editors visual effects audio effects what have you depending with the production companies
2: huh.
0: so as far as the credits go we're going to kind of jump around a little bit and just pull out different people that were notable and or we had something to say about and uh kind of glaze over some others that uh, really wasn't much on there, but we did do the full research for you fans. So this is what remains of the people in the credits that uh, there was something notable to speak about. All right. So I'm just going to jump right in then stunts. Yeah, let's go. First credit is for Carl bone. UHN. His uh, only credit is cabin boy. <laughs> Found a couple like that in this in these credits. Oh yeah. There's Charlie Brewer, who his whole family seems to be stunt people. Mm. He was married to somebody named Tina Broccoli, like mm-hmm. the vegetable. Her father was Albert Broccoli, also a producer, uh, who produced uh, Bond movies. Uh, the next credit is Kerry Cullen, who we hey. spoke about. Who we determined was the person that was the swimmer that Nathaniel is riding out on on this very minute. Because we believe she's the only female stunt person. She was a stunt person on Die Hard, Executive Decision, Money Train, Weekend at Bernie's, and Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Excellent. All right. I had, first up, we had Orwin Harvey, a Chicagoan. Appeared in a wide variety of movies, unfortunately left us in 1994. Um, he was the tennis player in Goonies, if that means anything to either of you two. Yes.
0: Sloth and Chunk are underground pulling at the pipes, which are underneath the country club. And uh, like they're pulling up and down the drinking
1: fountain that one of the tennis players is trying to drink from. Mm. Uh, Next up is Mr. George Merritt, who only has three credits to his name, Cabin Boy, The Bonfire of the Vanities, and a VCR game that was released sometime in the 80s called Isaac Asimov's Robots. It was a mystery game in which the main actor, who George Merritt was not, um, is a detective trying to figure out who assaulted a roboticist in the future. And the detective (laughs) speaks to Data Central, which is you, the viewer throughout the movie, and the viewer is supposed to take notes and draw info cards from a deck as you watch the thing. And then the sounds, movie... sounds as inane as uh, what of our ideas.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then the movie ends on a cliffhanger. It actually doesn't tell you the ending, and you need to figure out who done it by using Ooh. your notes and the information you got from the cards.
0: But you mentioned George Merritt, and that made me think of George Lucas, and you're talking about sci-fi stuff. And this is uh, a little bit off track, but also I found very interesting because we're talking credits. I was watching Beverly Hills Cop 3. (laughs) (laughs) It's noted as being the worst Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, Eddie Murphy himself says that it's absolute garbage, (laughs) which it is. It's terrible. They're an amusement. It's like a bizarro Disneyland called Wonderland. It, It just makes no sense. It's so stupid. But either way, George Lucas. Place an extra in the movie he's like waiting to go on a ride and they say the ride's broken and he's like oh man george lucas just <laughs> out of nowhere and then at the end of the movie they're showing guys sitting like old men sitting at a bar and one of the old men i'm like i know that guy i'm sure i know that guy would you believe i looked him up who's sitting in the bar on beverly hills cop three One of, I think, six different acting credits in his entire career. Ray Harryhausen. What? Yes. (laughs) Ray Harryhausen is sitting at the bar in Beverly
1: Hills Cop 3. That's so weird. What an assortment of extras. Excellent. Yeah. It's great.
2: And then, uh,
1: finally, we have Dane Farwell. He's still doing stunts to this day. And... He played the ghost face killer in Scream 1, 2, and 4. Ooh. I feel like that's uh, like iconic moves he made. You know? Yeah. Like just is anybody could do that. I said he was responsible for all kind of the mannerisms of the killer throughout the movie and really really embodied the killer well. And I believe those <laughs> are our credits for this minute. And that, that takes us to the end. Yeah. I mean, we get that
0: like general, generic cabin boy music Mm -hmm. playing, and then it starts to transition into like that spookier kind of music uh, right towards the end of this minute. Yes. In the screenplay, we have our last page, our torn and tattered screenplay, page 113. Boy, here we go. The grand finale. They continue their embrace for a moment. Nathaniel looks out at the sea. Nathaniel, come on, Trina. We have a boat to catch. Exterior of the sea. Nathaniel stands proudly on Trina's back as she swims toward the fishing boat. Seagulls swirl around them, pan up to the sky. The clouds look down and smile. They wink and give Nathaniel the thumbs-up sign. Suddenly, one of the clouds sneezes loudly and wipes its nose. Nathaniel, looking up in disgust. Ew, cover your mouth. Long shot of Nathaniel riding Trina toward the fishing boat. Exterior, the deck of the filthy whore. Nathaniel, Trina, and the fishermen stand proudly and happily together as they look off into the distance. Angle on the figurehead. She sighs contentedly. The boat swings around and sails off into the horizon as music swells and a 1950s style The End comes up on screen.
2: Mm. Some
0: interesting effects there. (laughs) Would have liked to see the seagulls swirling. Yeah, I I don't think they could could find rope long enough to tether (laughs) them (laughs) to
1: the sky.
2: (laughs) Fly
1: around in (laughs) circles shitting everywhere. <laughs> that would have been a nicer ending. The boys, yeah. It's boat sailing away, the the end coming up. Yeah, why why not go with the end bit? Couldn't have that extra minute.
0: Well, the, and does that like change the ending in any way? I guess it's open ended, as we discussed. I believe last week they may uh they may reject them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, just there's lots of general observation about the screenplay, but for this, I mean. Again, the figurehead showing up again seemed to have a much more prominent, to Adam's credit, and this was all likely due to budget cuts, you know, there was more consistency throughout the film. Like, the clouds were more of a character in the film. I know we see them at one point, and that would have been a cute little way to end it, but... Again, you're not going to throw that in now. It, it makes less sense, but if you had kept all those cloud bits throughout, it would have been better, a funnier way to end it. And again, the figurehead seemed to have more of a through line kind of story and character in the boat rather than just the little beard
1: bit. It makes the filthy whore itself have more of a character. Yeah. That'd be more of a presence in the story. So we forgive you, Adam. You tried. It's not your fault. So speaking of which, in the commentary. So in the commentary, we have Adam talking about the uh, what the final shot was supposed to be, uh, what we just heard about in the screenplay. Uh, it was supposed to be the whole crew standing on the boat together. Uh, it's kind of like a final goodbye, but it was cut. And so we just end with Nathaniel writing Trina to the dastardly folks at the studio. Mike asks for final thoughts as the credits are rolling. <laughs> relates that uh the one positive thing is that he doesn't get sick to his stomach when he thinks about the movie anymore and uh chris goes on a little bit saying how when they were making the movie they were naive right it's their first time doing a big movie and that you know the movie feels naive and uh, i think it's in this minute that he talks about how they were just making their own comedy that they'd been doing on Letterman, the same stuff they had been doing for a while, and they just figured, oh, we'll just do it in a movie and people will like it. it yeah, he thought nice. he thought an
0: audience would understand it. Kind of deferring some of the responsibility to uh the audience. It's our fault the movie's not good. Well it's not
1: our fault. <laughs> well yeah. we like it. Who wins the scene? I got Nathaniel on this one. It's Nathaniel. It's the triumphant end to his story. Yeah.
0: I got just got to give it to Nathaniel. It's his movie. Any video game or theatrical production ideas? Uh, all right, video game idea. So here it is. The boys reject them, and they start shooting at them. And you essentially have to storm the ship. <laughs> they kill you both eventually, and there is no way to win. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's excellent. I love it. <laughs> I have a couple things. So this is the uh, closing cutscene of the game. Um, if you've managed to max out your relationship with Trina, she will take you all the way to the boat and you do get to see that final shot of the crew on deck with the, the end coming up and the uh, figurehead. Uh, otherwise, it's just riding her closer to the boat and she just never gets there. And you have to actually power the game off to get out of that. There's no way to escape it. (laughs) Unskippable gameplay. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Exactly.
1: (laughs) Um also uh if you notice and uh click or tap on the surfers, you will go into a surfing game Mm
2: -hmm. where
1: you're uh you're riding Trina in the surf and uh you have to avoid the uh the surfers who are getting in your way. They're trying to do their tricks. And also, uh, Chaki is there as well. He's followed the boat from Hawaii. Can I just add that when you do that, the game
0: automatically charges you seventy nine ninety nine for that game. <laughs> it's, it's written somewhere very small in the game notes. <laughs> sure, that's great. <laughs> Not resulting in lawsuits at all. Calls to action. I have uh, right cabin boy two. <laughs> Again, I want that final scene they talk about in the commentary for the re-release. I would like to add the 1950s style the end. And uh I would like to add all of the cloud stuff and the figurehead stuff somehow back into all parts of the movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. I didn't have any calls to action, but just riffing off of what you just had there, I would like while we're doing kind of digital updates to the movie, the weather in the scene where Trina and Nathaniel are running off into the water, it really, it doesn't match up very well to when they're swimming out to the boat. So one of those two needs to change. Mm. Agreed. I'd also like a, a post credit scene mm-hmm. with uh, the bartender and the woman who is staring at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> Just her sitting at the bar getting like a pedicolotter or something like that.
2: Maybe chatting
1: about the crew. See those weirdos? Be fun. Yeah, I like that. Or David Letterman somehow. The meeting that William Mayweather was all dressed up for
2: <laughs> is
1: uh, is the old salt there selling sock monkeys, doing like a pitch.
0: Ooh, somehow we can imply that Nathaniel Mayweather had set up his son for some sort of kind of dealings with David Letterman. And this was all a big ruse to Ooh, sell the company or something.
1: Oh, so the old salt was a plant. Right, that's brilliant. They're having a drink with the bartender. Do, like, do we get Headmaster Timmons as well? <laughs> yeah. the Ed flotards in the back hanging out in the restaurant.
0: It's like uh, the game with Michael Douglas. You see all the people like in the cafeteria that conspired against them. Yes. Gags per minute. I've got one, and it's just Nathaniel riding Trina. I also have one, and it's Nathaniel riding out on Trina.
1: I have two.
0: Ooh, what did you see?
1: <laughs> Nathaniel's stupid run.
2: Mm. His gait
1: as they were jogging to the beach. Mm-hmm. And assuming that's intentional, then it gave it a gag. And then Nathaniel writing out on Trina for number two.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, Scott, you had a gag per minute of one. Brian, you also <laughs> had a gag per minute of one. I had a gag per minute of two. So we have an average gag per 30 second mm-hmm. per half minute this week of mm-hmm. 1.33. So if we want to normalize that for a full minute, that would give us a average gag per minute, at the very end here of 2.6. Scott, Brian, you are both the winners of the final GPM for the movie. Congratulations. Woo! You both will receive a book on the history of popsicles better be signed that might take a little bit of effort i think that guy's been dead for a long time now just to have resnick sign it <laughs> <laughs> you don't guys. sign this thing congratulations <laughs> thanks welcome Th- thank you i will admit that um i got very caught up in um the review of uh, the credits for the end here and uh didn't really put a lot of effort into this particular prize so um yeah,
0: it GPM. <laughs> GPM. Department would like to apologize a bit. Way to fail us at the end.
1: Welcome. <laughs> you are welcome.
0: Funny not funny. I went with not funny, because it's not funny. It is not funny. It is not funny. Again, the bits with the figurehead and clouds, as in the screenplay, would have been Nice. As I've said throughout this end, they should have been leaning into the zaniness
1: throughout. Yeah. It's not a funny end, but I mean, how many comedy movies end on a joke? All of them. Hmm. Uh, Some of them.
0: Should. I mean, this is ending on a joke. I'm not going to say it's not. The joke is the same joke we've seen already, which is him riding out on her.
1: That's fair. Just, yeah, not very funny. It's just not a funny joke. It happens. You missed the mark. Oh, well. All right. Well, we will discuss
0: uh, more overall thoughts on the movie in general in
1: uh, one of the upcoming minutes. But anything else for this minute, gentlemen? I mean, you know, it's not the most interesting minute to end on. But don't (laughs) worry. We've got plenty coming. Yes, we do.
2: All
0: right. Well, thank you very much for joining us here on Cabin Boy Minute, Minute 77. We'll see you next time on Cabin Boy Minute 78.
1: Adios. Bye bye.
0: Thank you again for joining us on Cabin Boy Minute. Please help spread the word, tell your friends about us, and rate and subscribe on your podcast medium of choice. Check out our episode notes where you can find calls to action, details on how to support the pod, or leave us a message. Or find us on Twitter at, at @CabinBoyMinute. Cabin Boy Minute. We look forward to joining you again next week. Bon voyage!